Hello friends, uh, welcome. We are picking up today the story of God in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22. Uh, one of the first things you'll notice as you read this passage closely is the way that these 11 verses mirror the first 11 verses of the chapter. There's a statement of a problem, there's the introduction of God's solution introduced with these two powerful words here, but now, which reminds us of the previous section in which the transition to the solution is announced with, but God. And then Hebrew, uh, then Paul will lay out for us the consequence of God's di divine action on behalf of people. And so uh, to give you kind of the end at the beginning, biblical commentator Mark Roberts writes, what we discover as we come to the end of Ephesians 2 is that not only are we raised from death to life, not only has God saved us by grace through faith, not only has God created us anew for good works, but God has also united formerly divided people groups, namely Jews and Gentiles, bringing, bringing near those who were once far away and joining all in his kingdom, his family, and his temple. The unifying of Jew and Gentile, far from being something extra in God's plan, is a powerful symbol of uniting all things in Christ and a central element of God's saving work. So with that in mind, let's read uh, the passage. Uh, I'm reading from the NLT today. It says, don't forget that you, oh, yeah, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you who were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of, the, of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jew and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling, where God lives by his Spirit. So the problem in this passage is obvious. Uh, Gentiles, the people that Paul is writing to, are outside of the covenant of God. There are some derogatory names given to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the heathens. And, and Paul writes that they were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Now today we think of our citizenship as our right to vote or what 
country is on our passport. Uh, but you have to think first century worldview, right? You didn't get to vote for your emperor. You didn't get to vote for your king. Uh, so citizenship wasn't about that. It, it was about, um, it, rather, it was about community. It was about privilege. It was about honor. It was about where you belong. And so it was possible for Gentiles to join the Jewish faith. These people were called proselytes. They agreed to keep the Jewish law. Men were circumcised when they converted. And however, even in the first century, these proselytes were treated as lower status than those who were born Israelites. They were always a second class in the community. Consider what that would have just felt like to be a Gentile, to, to hear about this God, to be convinced that Yahweh was the true God above all other gods, and yet to face so many barriers to enter into that relationship. Your citizenship meant that you were outside of this community. You did not hold the same levels of privilege and honor. I was thinking about uh, when Nikki and I lived in Altona, Manitoba, we were once told that we would never belong to the community. It didn't matter that I worked in a church there, that we contributed to the community, that we paid taxes, that we owned homes, that we had good friends, we knew all the local hangouts and where to find people on Tuesday morning. Because of our last name and the fact that we were never that we weren't born in that community, we would never truly be Altonians. It hurt, and it was true. Uh, Paul is being radical in this passage, and sometimes we miss just how much he believed in the great story of reconciliation and healing of all things, including all people. In verse 13, he makes this radical statement. He says, But now you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him. So what Paul is doing is he is deliberately calling to mind the words from Isaiah 57 verse 21. It says, May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. Now these words were words specifically for the Jewish exile, not for the Gentiles. The Gentiles, according to, according to the common reading of Isaiah 57, Gentiles were supposed to get Isaiah 57 verse 21. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. So instead of a lack of peace, what Paul says is he takes this exile promise and he, he includes the Gentile people. He says there is peace for you who are far away. Instead of a lack of peace, there is radical welcome. The Gentiles, through Jesus, are supposed to come home. Now the solution for the hostilities between these people is Jesus himself. Jesus is our peace. In this passage we see Jesus bringing peace, making peace, preaching peace. Like Christ is our peace. Now let's read again Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. It says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Okay, that's just verse 14. But let's just pause. How does this happen? How does Christ become our peace? How does Christ's crucifixion change this reality? As I was meditating on this passage, I was, thought, I just was thinking about he broke down the barrier of hatred that divide us. So how does Jesus on the cross break down hatred between us? Well, the first 
barrier sometimes that is there between us and other people is a belief that the other person is not worthy of God's love. In the Old Testament, there's a story of this prophet named Jonah, and Jonah is told by God to go to his enemies and tell them to change their hearts and their lives and to turn towards God. And Jonah refuses. Why? Well, because he doesn't want his enemies to repent. He wants them to receive some good old Isaiah 57:22 action. He doesn't want his enemy to know peace. He wants his enemies to suffer. What we see in Jesus on the cross is a radical worldview-changing reality that there is no person outside of the scope of God's love and grace. No person can put themselves outside of God's desire to redeem them, to unite them, to heal them, to bring them near, and to give them peace. Uh, the pastor Gregory Boyd is fond of saying, As a Christian, you are allowed one judgment of people. That is that they are a beloved child of God who, for whom Christ was willing to die for. That's it. That's the judgment that we as Christians get. Other people are worthy of God's grace and love and salvation. On the cross, Jesus' arms are stretched out and it is proclaimed to the world that everyone is welcome to come home. As people of the cross, we are called to be ambassadors and representatives of that good news. This is one of the ways in which Jesus ends divisions. But then there's another meaning, uh, contextually and within this passage. In verse 15, it says, He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace to Jews and Gentiles. So what does this mean, that he ended the commandments of law? Now, some people think that what Paul is talking about is, a, is the physical wall in the temple. Uh, Paul himself is in prison right now for bringing a Gentile into the temple, and people got upset with him about that. And so that maybe one interpretation is that, oh, this is about being separated, uh, the inner courts, and Gentiles being allowed into worship. But that doesn't really fit the context. Literally, the Greek reads, having destroyed the dividing walls of the fence, the hostility in his flesh, having set aside the law of commands and regulations. So there are clues here, if you are paying attention. Fence. Law of Commands, Regulations. I, I want you to hear what one Jewish author, a uh, couple um, mid-2nd century before Christ wrote. He said, Now our lawgiver, being a wise man, fenced us around with an impregnable ramparts and walls of iron that we might not mingle at all with any other nation, but remain pure in body and soul. Therefore, lest we should corrupt, be corrupted by any abomination or our lives be perverted by evil communications, he hedged us in around on all sides by rules of purity, affecting alike what we eat or drink or touch or hear or see. See, the Old Testament law was a fence. It was seen as a fence, a barrier, a dividing wall that kept Jewish people separate from mingling with the other nations. Every action of life was guarded in a way to keep the Jewish people separate from others. Now, some people say, well, what Paul is talking about here is only the ceremonial portions of the law. However, the law, the Torah, is not broken up into sacrificial law, moral law, ceremonial laws. For the Jewish person, Torah is a total package. Everything is spiritual. Everything comes from God. It is all laws and commandments. Uh, again, Roberts writes about Ephesians 2.15. He says, The law that Christ set aside is not limited to ceremonial law. The whole law is composed of commands and regulations. In some way, this whole law has been set aside through the death of Christ. 
We see in Ephesians that the law is not that which redeems us, saves us, or gives us life. The death of Christ has supplanted the law, and therefore all people can belong to God through faith because of his grace. Hebrews tells us that Jesus has arranged a better covenant for his people with better promises. In Hebrews 8.13, in reference to the law, it says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon be disappeared. Obsolete means to be worn out, to be useless, to be done. It's your old Nokia brick phone that was super helpful to you when that was all the technology we had, but now sits as a paperweight in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. We don't use it anymore. We don't need it anymore because there is something new and better and the old is obsolete. It is no, the, the law is no longer helpful in the new thing that God is doing. And this is part of what's happening to the law. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk last week about racism as an imbalance of power is because we can see a clear parallel here in the situation in Ephesus. The Jewish people held all of the power in the situation. You can hear it in the language that the Jewish writer used about the hedge, because those outside will corrupt you with perversion and abominations. They are evil. Stay away. Stay, away. Stay inside the fence. Don't mingle. This is the way. Uh, the... It, it created the power imbalance to say, well, this is how you worship. This is how you meet God. This is how you dress. This is how you have to be if you want to be in the, in the in group. And so when one group holds all of the power, resentment breeds. Hatred grows. Unity is constantly being torn at. And so Christ brings a new covenant. He destroys the old in his body on the cross. The reality of human nature, though, is that we are fence builders. Uh, we don't always love freedom. There, there's a lot of reasons for this. We need comfort, security, and clarity, and, and our needs for those seem to be wired into us. And, but, and so as Christians, we have built elaborate dividing walls to keep people in the places that we want them to be. We put signs on our lawn that say, all are welcome, but then perhaps even unconsciously, we build dividing walls that make people who are different than us feel uncomfortable. So how do we respond? If you and I are, are busy building walls that Jesus is destroying, what, what is it we are supposed to do? What are the divisions that are pulling us apart as families and cities? Where do you and I play a role in the discord between races and genders? Where do you and I build socioeconomic, financial gap between us and others? What, are, what roles are we playing in the divisions of churches and denominations? If we believe that Christ's death pushes aside the barrier that separated Jews and Gentiles, can we also believe that God continues to seek to remove the barriers that separate us wherever people are divided? Colossians 3.10 verse 11, Paul writes, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in us all. Galatians 3.28 says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Every division we create, ethnic, economic, gender, has been torn down in Christ. Those who walk in the way of Jesus, our task is to see where we are building up new walls of division and where old barriers keep us away from others who, 
and that are, have been constructed. And then we are invited to enter into the reconciliation between people. When we look at this grand story of Scripture, when we see his reconciliation between people is, is not a minor tangent in the story of God, but a major theme. Uh, if we want to live fully in the grace of God we, and participate in his cosmic work, we must live as people of reconciliation. If Christ is our peace and he has made peace, then we are called to be peacemakers in every part of our life, whether that's our relationships, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our churches, our denominations, our cities, and our nations. In God, Christ removes the power imbalance. He sets aside the law and invites Gentiles to come home, to become full citizens in the kingdom of God. And as a church, we are called to engage in that work now. We begin by looking at where are we erecting walls that contribute to division. Sometimes they're obvious. There are racial prejudice, our ethnic hatred, the way we talk about people, other people groups or other religions. But sometimes it's, it's our greed, it's our fear, it's our nationalism it, 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 that is moving us away from people who are different than us. Other times the walls are more hidden. Uh, it's our, just our reality of physical and relational distance from people who are different than us. Our habits of self-centeredness, our traditions that foster separate, separation our ignorance that breeds insensitivity in us. And so one of the things I would just encourage and ask of you is that this week spend some time meditating on the question, are there places in my life that I build up walls between myself and people that are different than me? And how would Jesus invite me to act in tearing down those walls? There's just one last beautiful part in Ephesians 2 I want to point out. In this passage, it's another one. Uh, Paul expands on the consequence of God's saving work in Jesus on the cross. Paul writes, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And so there's this theme again is found, you are found, you are no longer in exile, far from God, you have been brought near, you have citizenship, you have status in the community and honor. And then Paul adds this one more mind-blowing inclusion of God, you are members of God's family. This is even more intimate than being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Gentiles are now family. Ephesians 2.13 said, But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We are learning that Gentiles are in fact family. That there has been a DNA exchange with those who are far and those who are near. We share the same DNA, the same identity as the original family of God. God creates a new family through Jesus, bringing diverse and different people and cultures and ethnicities together in one. There's so much more we could say about this passage. I want to just leave us here with these two ideas. The first is that the reconciliation of diverse peoples is not a tangent of the good news of God's salvation and grace in Jesus. Rather, reconciliation of diverse people is the direct outworking and evidence of what God has done and is doing. As those who are saved by grace when we believed, who understand that God has created us as his masterpiece. We know that God has planned good things for us to do long ago. And the first work that is revealed in Ephesians 2 that we are to do is the work of racial and ethnic reconciliation. And since this is true, the task for you and I then is to see the ways in which we keep reconstructing the barriers, the walls that keep us at a distance, the obvious and the less obvious actions and attitudes that keep people as the other, the way in which we might be like Jonah and not actually want to see God's love and grace extended to others. 
Instead, you and I are invited to bring the message of reconciliation, that Christ is our peace, that Christ has made peace, and that Christ is bringing peace to those who are far and those who are near. Grace and peace. Amen.